Warning, this audio may be disturbing for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome in an instant, a podcast where we talk about true survival stories, where people make it out of uh, insane situations and uh, live. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep some of that. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to In an Instant, a true survival story podcast. My name is Leanne, and this is my sister, Nikki. Hi. Hi. Well, right before we get started, uh, Nikki, what is your little Einstein this week? Okay, so... I actually forgot what my little Einstein was last week. And so I apologize if it's the same and let me know if it is the same. But I got a mountain bike. And I'm going to try to mountain bike. But I tried mountain bike on a little paved uh, area around my apartment. And it was so hard. It was like a flat surface. And so I can't even imagine doing it off-roading. But I'm going to try You can't even bike it. on a flat surface? No, it's hard. What? It, what's the, is it different than a normal bike? Uh, it's just like more suitable for dirt roads, as well as paved roads. It's it's really hard. It like it takes the breath right out of you. Okay, I'll believe <laughs> you. Maybe. <laughs> no. That's kind of cool though that you're mountain biking or trying to. Yeah. Are you going to mountain bike around the world? Like um, those crazy people? I don't know about that. Oh. I I hear stories up about people like going over their mountain bike, like over the handles, and then they fall onto trees and like the trees like impale them. Ooh, I had yes. a friend who was mountain biking like that was something like, you know how our family would four wheel their family would mountain bike and she oh like did that she went over the the handlebars and it crushed her collarbone like from here all the way to her shoulder oh and now her arm's like weirdly saggy and she got this cool tattoo to cover it oh yeah yeah I don't think I'm will be going very fast to go over my handlebars I think (laughs) I'll just end up falling sideways (laughs) you should get a like a little camera on your helmet (laughs) <laughs> yeah that'd yeah. be like comical <laughs> you should do it though Sounds what's your little though. einstein my little einstein is my new rug it's not motivational or anything but i love it so much so mom bought the rug for me on amazon because i sent it to her as a joke i said buy me this as a joke oh my god i mean i do like the rug I love the rug. I love it. It's like that old school arcade floor style, like with the black background and bright colors and weird shapes. <laughs> and I love it. My husband, Chris, he absolutely hates it. He hates this rug so much. But yeah, I don't I can't imagine you putting it somewhere in your house. No, it's in my living room. I'm going to get a new couch. It's going to be a black couch. I'm going to get those giant Rubik's Cube pillows. So they're going to complement it. Welcome to casting couch. 
No, not casting couch. No. It's <laughs> <laughs> gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a cool rug. If you could get it to like match up and be like a cute little game room kind of neon scene. Uh, it's going to be, be nice. my living room. It's going to be. Have you heard of the maximalist de- decor? No. Maximalist? Oh, well, you should go on Pinterest and look that stuff up because that's what I'm going to do. And the rug is my first piece to that. Okay. Are you going to get like a leg lamp? Maybe that's actually a really good idea. I have a good, I have a corner for a leg lamp. Okay. Only if it's your leg, though. We got to get a mold of your leg. (gasps) Oh, yes. Silicone mold. Yeah, yeah. And then okay. my Nikki. And I want what I want one of your not like high heels for it. I want one of your sneakers because you refuse to buy new shoes where you just keep duct taping <laughs> it over and over and over. Oh, that's I so want one of those. <laughs> I want one of those. So I went to the family reunion like uh two weeks ago. Yeah. And I was wearing leggings, but it was like kind of like uh cropped leggings. Yeah. So half of my calf was like exposed to the sun. And so I have like a really awful tan line and it looks like I'm wearing real like brown socks. Oh my gosh. You should <laughs> take a picture and we should post it on our TikTok because I have a video of your sunburn on TikTok. So before we get started, I just want to start by saying this story is considered one of the most famous uh, survival stories. So you've probably heard this story. You've probably watched the movie on it. You've heard gossip on it. Um, And then after the survival, there is uh, an incident that takes place, but I will not be discussing that on the podcast for respect of the family, the victim, and what he went through. So if you do know about that, please keep it to yourself. I don't, you know, we're not going to talk about it here. Uh, So it started on April 26, 2003 in Southern Utah. Aaron Lee Ralston. Do you know who that is? I do you do i'm a big fan yeah yeah i watched the the movie recently he really he really like um his survival instincts really kind of taught people what to how to utilize their equipment to like their maximum effort yeah all right it started on april 26 2003 in southern utah Aaron Lee Ralston quit his engineering job at Intel to climb Colorado's 14ers. Now, 14ers are mountains that exceed 14,000 feet of elevation, which is 4,267 meters. And Colorado has 58 of them. It has the most in any state. I think California is the next one with 12. Wow. Yeah. So he's got a dream and he's going to reach it. He's going to climb them all? Maybe, maybe. Anyway, so Aaron began his solo descent of Blue John Canyon. Again, this is located in southern Utah. While he was descending down to the lower stretches of the Slot Canyon. Uh, do you know what a Slot Canyon is? Uh, is it... Is it like kind of like a small crevice where there's you're walking on a path and there's like mountains on both sides of you? Yeah, kind of. It's like kind of like a a very long, narrow channel or a drainage way with sheer walk walls that are typically uh, typically eroded into either sandstone or other 
other sedimentary rock. Um, they're also known for flash floods. And because we lived in Utah and we would go a lot, we're always warned of like flash floods. Because it's not like you get a 24-hour heads up. It's like all of a sudden it's going to rain and you're going to drown if you're standing in that. Yeah. You know, so like very dangerous, but, you know, like the Narrows, uh, I don't remember the national park that is, but Zions. Like the Nar- yeah, Zions. It's like the Narrows. And those are uh, slot or slit canyons, as two phrases. What happened before? Like, why did he want, do you know why he wanted to climb it? Uh, yeah, so his family moved to Denver, Colorado when he was 12 years old. And while he was in school, they taught him backpacking, skiing, snowboarding, uh, mountaineering, climbing. Like, it was probably just a class he did or something. And okay. he just, he fell in love with it. He got such a strong passion for it that through the rest of his life, he would kind he tried to remain in Colorado. He would go a little bit for work because he was an engineer, but he'd always come back and he would wake up like four hours before work. So if he went to work at 9am, he was waking up at like 2am to go mountaining. Wow. That's Point. dedication. I can't love something that much. <laughs> could get me out of bed like that. <laughs> so, so he woke up this morning, just decided he was going to climb Blue John. Yeah, and that's, that's that's what he did. What he happened. was just kind of a free spirit. You know, he quit his job. He was like, I'm going to go hiking here. He's practicing. He's getting ready. He wants to solo climb all of the 58 14ers in Colorado. So. He's got his goal. He's going to practice. He's going to do it. Um, so as Aaron begins to send, uh, to descend down, a large boulder that is 800 pounds or 360 kilos shifted and smashes his left hand. And as they're falling down, it ends up actually smashing his right hand. So both of his hands are actually injured, uh, but it actually smashes his right hand, trapping it between the canyon wall and the boulder and his hands kind of stuck like at an angle so his fingers are pointing down his thumb sticking out and the boulder ends right at his wrist so it's like an awkward angle for his elbow it's sticking up it's just not it's not a good place to be trapped um sorry real quick and it's just his right hand that's trapped now his left hand is injured but it's free Yeah, so his right hand's trapped, but on the way down, it was originally his left hand that was going to be trapped, so it's narrow. This boulder's huge, and it's not, like, bouncing around, ping-ponging. It's sliding kind of straight down, and Aaron's going down with it. So in the immediate reaction to save the first pain you feel, which is your left hand being smashed, you rip it away, but you still have to try to stop yourself. So that's where his right hand comes in. As he's ripping his left hand away, his right hand comes in to try to stop to grab or pull something because he's falling. And there's a giant 800-pound boulder chasing after him. And that's when it it smashes and gets his hands wedged, like stuck. So, yeah. His left hand's not too injured. Um, It's still, you know, immediate reaction. You pull away. I mean, he's kind of all bruised and beat up here but the biggest thing is his right hand is trapped uh he's stuck and he he actually did not tell anyone of his hiking plans 
Um, he didn't have any way to call for help either. So no cell phone. Oh, no. He doesn't even have a cell phone in his truck, which is eight miles away. Oh, no. Yeah. So that's where we're going to begin. It's on day one. So this is day one of being trapped, you know, with the oh. hand. So. And like... I hear these stories all the time of people not telling other people where they're going to be, mm-hmm. but it's like, oh, like I kind of like judge it, but I'm guilty of that same thing just because nothing's ever happened to me. So like, why would it happen to me kind of thing, you know, but man, like, that's like, that's so hard that he hasn't, he didn't tell anybody. He doesn't even have a phone on him. I know. And it's, it's so frustrating because you do you were like you know better do you want to climb all of the Colorado 14ers why didn't you tell anybody and the same thing it's like well I know better but I never do it yeah you know I'm like I'm guilty of it almost every day I'm like I'm gonna go walk to the park with my kids and I don't tell Chris I don't tell you guys I just go like you guys don't want to go and it's anything could happen while I'm at the park yeah, I honestly feel like if I were to tell somebody and I didn't show back up when I'm supposed to, like if I missed work, none of my friends like would report me missing until probably like four days later. Yeah. <laughs> so. I don't know. Yeah, probably. You know, I'm such a recluse. It would probably they'd probably give me a week or two. Yeah. I'm my like, next door neighbor would probably give me a week or two and then be like yeah I really haven't seen the dogs outside so (laughs) yeah yeah we're like the flakiest people that we know yeah it's amazing we could do this podcast weekly (laughs) (laughs) I know (laughs) all right so day one Aaron's hand is trapped and he has approximately 350 milliliters of water and two burritos that's it okay uh, he has one cheap pocket knife. Uh, doesn't have a brand name. It's just one of those free ones you get when buying a flashlight. And the flashlight was crap, too. Oh. So, not great. He wanted to get his really nice one, but he didn't want to take too long getting there. And he was already running late. So, he couldn't find it. So, he left his Swiss Army knife, which actually would have helped so much more. Yeah. He didn't have that. Just this cheap one that was a stocking stuffer that his mom gave him. Uh, So he spends day one trying to push the 800-pound rock away or even just budget a little to free his hand. Unfortunately, the boulder was really, really wedged in there, and he could not move it. So that's how he spent day one trying to move the boulder. Do you know if his hand is like, because it's crushed is like the bones in it shattered you know or is it just so it's actually just stuck so it's stuck it's pinned perfectly to the point that like obviously it's injured but nothing's broken and he can't get it out yeah probably because like his hand bone is like too big and it's like pinned on his wrist maybe something so it's pinned like kind of right again it's like this so the like kind of downwards and the rock is this whole, I mean, it's all of this, but his, uh, I'll mention it, but his thumb is sticking out on the other side of the rock. But because it's kind of like a roundish boulder, it's not over his wrist. Like he could see 
from the wrist kind of down and everything, but his hand is gone. That's how he spends day one. Day two, and he's standing the whole time. He can't lay down. He can't sit down. He can't. I mean, he has to be on his feet because he's he's stuck. He's trapped. And his feet are on the ground, but it's not a smooth surface. Like, he's on, like, this tiny little ledge, and there's a tiny, tiny, like, you're not going to get hurt if you trip on it. You might twist your ankle if you're stupid like me. But mm-hmm. it's still a tiny little ledge, like, right behind him. And his hand is trapped. So he can't sit down, lay down. He has to stand almost the whole time and use the boulder that's trapping him as a way to rest so oh that's how yeah so day two he continues to try and free his hand the boulder was made of chalk stone so it could chip but not that easily so it's kind of it's not like those smooth rocks that you find in a river it's more chalky and you could chip it mm-hmm. like I used to break the small ones for fun why can't he just chip the rock away it's so big. It's 800 pounds. And the surface of it is pretty chalky, but it's still, I mean, it's been eroded. It's been kind of smooth. And it's its not like those smaller ones that you could pick up and crush in your hands. It's 800 pounds. That's a mass. <laughs> that yeah, is I, a mass. I think I probably underestimated this rock. <laughs> yeah, I'll post a picture of the rock so you could see because they have that. But Okay. Uh, so he spent day two uh, trying to push, trying to even pull his hand out and chipping the rock away, hoping to do just enough to unwedge it and free his hand. Because that's all he needs to do. If his hand gets out, he's free. Yeah. That's all he has to do. Um, and that was day two. He spent just chipping away. And he still has water and food at this point. He still has, he's nibbling uh, some burritos. He's taking tiny sips of water, but it's running low. And so when he first got pinned on that first day, that's when he realized that he made a critical error of not telling anybody. Yeah. That first day. Oh, he, the second day and third day as well, he keeps going over in his head about how stupid he was how he should have told somebody he should have brought his phone he should have just even looked for extra look looked harder for a swiss army knife he even was wishing so before he went on this trip he was in horseshoe canyon and he met two other hikers and they were lost and he kind of not lost like dire situation lost they were just like where do we go we can't figure out the map he kind of mm-hmm. showed them where to go because he really knows the area so we showed him and he hung out with them and they offered to let him hike with them like tag along and he told him no and he was saying i wish like every bone in my body wished i tagged along with them and yeah he was not happy for it. He does believe that this rock has been waiting his entire life just for this moment. This rock has been waiting for him. This yes. rock was meant for him. And that's what he truly believes still to this day. That was his rock. On day three, Aaron is still chipping away at the boulder. He does notice his thumb is sticking out from the other side. He was able to climb over the boulder just enough to see it sticking through. His thumb was blue and cold. 
Curiously, he got his pocket knife and started lightly poking his thumb. He felt nothing. Mm, his whole his whole thumb is dead. He shoves the blade uh, a little deeper into his thumb, and it slides in like butter. And this is a dull, dull blade. It was chipping away at rock for two days. So it is not sharp. And it slid into his thumb like butter. So his thumb had no resistance to that. At the moment of the puncture, Aaron also hears gases, like the sound of gas, being released from his thumb. Ew, why? Like it was built up with pressure? Like We now pressure? know that his hand is decaying. It is dead and decaying and building up, you know, when a body dies and it fills up with all those gases, while it is still attached to him. Because there's no no circulation. There's, I mean, it's trapped. There's no circulation. There's nothing getting through. So his hand is now dead and it is now decaying. It is rotting. Yeah, that'll spread too, like even to live tissue. And Mm -hmm. so what medical professionals have to do is cut out that dead tissue to prevent the spread. So yeah, if if that doesn't do anything, it'll travel all the way through him. Mm Mm-hmm. Aaron already accepts the fact he lost his hand for good, and if he doesn't seek medical attention soon, it'll be more than just his hand that'll be gone for good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's his his right hand that's his probably most likely his dominant. Yeah, he was right-handed. So, and I, you know, I was thinking that too. It's just, He's got his right hand stuck and he's going through all of this with his left hand. I'm left-handed, so I could do that. But if it was my left hand stuck, like stuck, I'd be fumbling around with my right hand. I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to do anything. I probably wouldn't even to like be able to bring a burrito up to my mouth without missing it. Yeah, I feel for both of you. I wouldn't know that feeling. Oh yeah, you're ambidextrous. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you suck. At some point on day three, due to exhaustion, dehydration, and starvation, Aaron has a dream of missing his right hand and playing with a little boy. In this dream, he knows it's it's his son, and they're having a fun time. It's sunny. They're you know they've got food and just laughing and playing. Uh, it was a sweet, delirious moment, and it did bring peace. It brought Aaron peace and knowing everything will be okay, and he now begins to create a plan to amputate his own arm. Okay, so he went from stabbing his thumb to now just wanting to cut his whole arm off. Well, it's dead. It's decay. It's rotting. His but, hand is rotting while connected to him. But if his arm is pinned, he'll have to cut like above his wrist, won't he? Mm-hmm. That part is that part dead. Like, can't he? Won't he still bleed? Won't he still feel right there? Yeah, he will still bleed and feel everything because he cannot get to the dead part to get that off. So he has to cut off the part that's still living. To free himself. 
So now we're on day four. Aaron gave up on chipping away the rock and is now making a tourniquet, which is a band that is tied super tight to an arm or leg when bleeding is uncontrollable uh, due to a severe wound. So he has this camelback, camel pack. Do you know what that is? Like dad used to have one. It was like a yeah. backpack with a water. Yeah, like with it. the water bag in it. Yeah, those are so weird. So he has that. And he takes the tube, like the straw part of that. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's going to use as his uh, thing to tie it off. His tourniquet, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so that's what he's going to use. That's what he's kind of practicing with. Is he, real quick, is he doing it all the way up his arm? Or is no, he doing he's it just doing it about his- like, right, we're going to say right kind of at the elbow area a little bit. So it's like, right. Okay. All right there. So after making some exploratory, which is weird, exploratory superficial cuts and experimenting with his tourniquets, he realized he will have to cut through bone. Oh, no. With his dull knife? He doesn't have the tools for that. All he has, that is sharp enough. He does have his other blade. So it's a Mm multi-tool. And you know how multi-tools always have a long blade and a short blade? The Mm -hmm. long blade is too dull to do anything it won't cut skin it won't do anything so he has a two inch blade on this multi-tool that is barely barely sharp enough to cut skin with a lot of pressure it's two inches okay and so that's all he has and pliers with his multi-tool that he'll he'll have to like hack at it though like serrate it kind of back and forth like saw it yeah yeah so but he doesn't have the tools to cut bone even with that knife he's not going to be able to get through the bone fast enough he'll bleed out before he could get through the bone yeah so he kind of loses a lot of hope right there thinking okay he got this far he he knows what he needs to do, but he, he can't. He can't do it. So that's how he spends the rest of day four. It's just kind of, you know, self-pity, angry at himself, um, angry at the world, and just overall saddened that his choices, and he knows he's accepted it's his choices that led him here. Just really sad. Yeah, that's so tough. Yeah. So we're on day five. Aaron carves his name, date of birth, and the presumed date of death on the nearby cave wall. He videotaped his last goodbyes. Aaron has had a videotape this entire time and would frequently make videos to help keep him sane. Uh, He has not released the tapes since they are so personal to him, and that is okay. It is okay to have something so tragic happen and the emotions you suffered being so strong that it is okay to keep it to yourself. And the reason Mm -hmm. I want to emphasize that is when I was researching this, a lot of people were almost demanding him these tapes. He has them locked up in a bank vault and he's only showed, he showed James Franco because of the movie 127 Hours. Uh, I think he showed the director and maybe like two or three friends. 
and even the like the actor and director they only saw parts they didn't get to see all of it Mm -hmm. and I think it's okay it's okay those are locked up it's okay you don't you don't owe the world those yeah yeah they just yeah exactly yeah so I do want to put emphasis on that so if you're one of those people that are gonna message him on Instagram don't ask for those tapes they're his you know I'm one of Um, those people don't do it Nikki (laughs) (laughs) just kidding (laughs) Aaron is now out of food and water he does start drinking his own urine um, but he does not expect to survive the night so it's early morning of day five near the end of day four So he wakes up at dawn that following day, and Aaron became desperate to rip his arm off. He survived the night, but he realizes he can break his radius and ulna bone using the tourniquet against his trapped arm. So he ties his arm up with it, leans over the the boulder, like the top of the boulder. So he kind of climbs up. And you know how I said his arm is trapped like this? Mm -hmm. He climbs over it. And he starts putting all this pressure against his arm. And he hears a loud pop. <clears throat> and it echoes in the like throughout the canyon. He knows he just broke his bone. Now he has to break the other one. So he does the exact same thing, but the opposite way. So instead of climbing over the boulder, he's going down. Almost trying to, it almost looks like hey. he's going to crawl under the boulder. And he still, he twist his arm in the same way and there's another echoing pop now his arm his hand is dead but his arm is alive it still has feelings he's been here for five days so his adrenaline it's still there but it's definitely not as strong because now he's dehydrated he's starving he's exhausted he's delusional so he's still feeling all these bones breaking which is I I couldn't I can't imagine that has successfully broke both bones in the same spot. Oh good. In the same yeah. spot though. In the same spot, which he doesn't even know how he did that. I remember watching the 127 hours movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a part in the movie where it's it's kind of weird. It's almost like a it like goes into his arm and like visualizes on the bone, which is completely different from like the entire rest of the movie. But I heard that Aaron Ralston really needed that part to be in the movie because it was such a significant like part of his survival where he felt like that leverage hit that exact spot and he felt the bone like move in his arm. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that's when I realized that I had to break my bones. And so they put that weird part in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. He did want that. I did listen to a lot of interviews um, with him and everything talking about this. And he actually wanted the entire arm thing. So from the moment when he realizes he has to break his bones to the end when it's gone. He wanted all of that in there um, because he even said, and this is, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this uh, story is it was just weird to hear it phrased this way. He went through something so traumatic, so horrible, awful, 
And he says he will never have another experience this strong and this powerful. He will never again have anything like this in his life. And he was sad. He was sad. Not, he was sad to say that, which I'm not judging him for that. I get it. That is so, you're feeling so many powerful, strong things in this moment, in these five days, especially the last day. You're feeling, I mean, it's life or death. You're, everything you have is at 100% or it's gone. So, and yeah, I mean, I've been through some extreme experiences in my life. And it made me feel like I never or and some of them I do get sad. I'm like, I'm never going to experience anything that powerful. But then, you know, because mine's not that bad, I do experience something more powerful or just as powerful. But going through this and knowing but going through this and knowing you never want to experience something like this again. But it makes you sad because you miss that power. Yeah. That's, that's his, that's his moment. And that's his moment. It would be a little bit, uh, I don't know, daunting because Nando Perardo in that Uruguayan flight, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, story we said like Nando, he was like power, like he was controlling everything. He was rest. He rescued everyone. And then he was just extremely depressed once everyone was rescued because it's like what like what where what am i supposed to do now what do you and even if you do find what you're going to do now is it going to feel just as powerful and motivational and meaningful as when you were saving everyone's lives like yeah you could become an EMT you can become a doctor and still save lives but it's not mm-hmm. going to be those same powerful feelings you felt before yeah and exactly that it really opened my eyes to kind of hear him say that. And then kind of, I, I mean, I couldn't find anything online about it. So I just had to sit there and almost meditate on it to understand what he was meaning when he said, I miss it. So, yeah. And again, I know I cry almost every episode, but just meditating on that. It's like, Oh my God. <laughs> but okay, yeah, so you he, could cry. Yeah, he broke his bone in both places. He now has uh, that same kind of power, except it's, he says he almost becomes just a robot. He doesn't let his body process or his mind process what he's about to do. Um, But he gets to work on his arm. He just, because it's a two inch blade, it's super dull. Not as dull as the other bigger one, but it's dull. And he just starts sawing in there. He gets so far as to where he could see the broken bones. He could see the arteries and the tendons before he realizes he has to put his tourniquet on. He didn't have his so, tourniquet on? Not the right. He, he had it on for the broken bones, but he didn't have it on for the stopping of the blood. Because he had it tied to stop the bones from moving more. So he had to reapply that. He actually got so far into his arm, he was seeing bone, that he realized, I have to put this on. I'm going to die. It's like, oh, shit, I'm bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he does put that on, and uh, he continues working. He uses pliers for the tough tendons, um, and he saves the arteries for last. So right before the arteries 
and everything else he does. I don't know if you remember this. And for those of you who are wanting to watch 127 hours, there's a, a warning for this scene. But there's the nerve. So he finds the nerve. He says it looks just like a spaghetti noodle. In his brain, he was like, that's not going to be hard to. It's a spaghetti noodle. Yeah. Even touching it felt like a blazing fire running all the way up to his shoulder. That's just touching it. He's not. Like, he would have to go put the blade on it and then pull it to cut through it. He wouldn't just, it's not scissors. It's so not it, sharp. Yeah. And it's not sharp enough to just snap, like snap. So he has to put the blade under his nerve and pull it as far up as he can. Yeah. Until it breaks. Until it breaks. He tried it a few times and just, it was, it, it's gut wrench. I almost fainted watching this part. He tried it a few times and he finally got the nerve. He said what he had to do was just start and just don't stop. Just he was telling himself the pain will go away when you get it. He wasn't allowing himself to think that if he stopped touching the nerve, the pain would go away. He made himself believe the only way to get rid of this pain is to cut it. In an interview, After he cuts the nerve, he states he was finally free. His arm's still trapped. Like, he's still trapped in there. He's bleeding. His arm's not completely severed yet. He still has arteries and some tendons in the back of the skin, like, you know, the other side. Mm -hmm. But because he cut that nerve, he said he finally felt free. Yeah, like, yeah, he felt disconnected from his trapped hand. Because now he can't feel it. He can't feel it. So now he's just going faster than he did before. Because now, I mean, he's not feeling it. And he he uses the pliers to cut the arteries last. Because, yeah, they're going to, you know, the the tendons and arteries are going to be the toughest and thickest things to cut there. So it takes them an hour to fully amputate his hand. He's covered in blood. He's finally free. He's crying, not from the pain or what he had to go through, but he's free. He can can walk away from the rock. He can social distance from it. Finally free. But now he has to climb out of a slot canyon. He repelled down a 65 foot, which is 20 meter sheer wall. And he has to climb up it with one hand. Luckily, his climbing ropes are still connected to him. You know how he was climbing down. So he still has those ropes. Um, They're still connected. He still has them. He did try to use them to move the boulder on day one and two, but climbing ropes are not ropes we're used to. They're very, like, they have a lot of give, a lot of stretch. Mm -hmm. So they're not, they wouldn't work for, you like, making a pulley or something out of it to help move the boulder. But he still has that. So he's able to climb with the, you know, it's not like a free climb. He's got his ropes helping him get up there, and he's one-handed. But he gets there. 
he gets to the top and the first thing he does is kiss the the clip like for his ropes and his like mm-hmm. uh mountain climbing gear he just first thing he does is he's just so thankful so thankful that it held up through all of this it was still there it saved him it helped him get out of the canyon but now he has to walk eight miles yeah. to his truck yeah he might think he's he's free from his hand but he's not free from death's grass yeah he still doesn't have any food he doesn't have any water no cell phone no way to contact anybody no one even knows he's missing and he is eight miles away from his truck in a canyon is it morning afternoon or about nighttime when he freed himself uh it's about i would say mid afternoon so like it's not too early in the morning and not too late at night and not right smack in the middle of the afternoon. It's just kind of right getting to the mid part. But it's getting pretty hot. It's getting pretty hot. And like the middle of the desert. So the air is really dry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've ever been to Utah where we grew up, that you don't find water. You don't find a cactus and have water. You don't have water. You got to go home. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty dry. There's not even like water in the air. No. You'll find like, I guess, mud. I remember when we went camping and we found this cracked mud and we were digging because we just watched that Oladar dinosaur. I love Oladar. (laughs) So we were digging to find the water, like what they were doing there. And we got pretty far and there was still no water. Like, yeah. you remember that? Yeah, but they had to use the brontosaurus to push <laughs> down and find water because they're like a, a lot <laughs> of weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. He should have just picked up that 800-pound boulder and dropped it and he would have found water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was that easy. <laughs> so he climbed up the wall and now he has to walk, well, hike, because it's not a flat road. It's It's Utah mountains. He has to hike eight miles back to his truck. And then if he gets to his truck, there's still no cell phone. He didn't bring his phone. Yeah. So he has to get in his truck and drive somewhere to find help. Which is crazy. Because we also Uh. know you're not going to drive an hour and find somebody in Utah canyons. You're going to be driving for probably almost close to two hours yeah. before you, you find something like a gas station or do you know what county this is in wayne county utah can you look up the population of that so wayne county only has 2711 people as of 2022 this was in 2003 wow if he freed himself and he's hack- hiking out on a weekday with a population of about roughly 2,000 people, he's not going to find anybody. Everyone's at nope. work. Everybody's at work. Uh, even if it's a Sunday, they're all at church. Yeah. It would have to be a Friday afternoon or a Saturday. And that he was staying out there for five days. 
So like the chances of him landing on that day, it, it just seems very slim. Very slim. Yeah, so he starts the eight-mile hike to his truck, and so thankfully and so luckily, he actually runs into Eric and Monique Mayher, Mayher and their son Andy. They were on vacation here from the Netherlands. So they speak some English, not home so much. And they were walking away from him and he starts screaming help, but it takes a while because he had no energy. So mm-hmm. he's seeing these people. He said they look like angels walking away against the sun and he's trying to scream help and nothing's coming out until finally, right when they're about to be out of the distance where, you know, like you could yell, but he's like, I wouldn't be able to run that. I'm too tired. I'm exhausted. I don't have a hand. I can only run so far after him. And they're pretty far. But he finally gets one loud ulp out. Like, he tried to say help. But his body was only able to get ulp. Which they do turn around. And now that he feels he has a voice, he starts yelling for help more. I need help. I need help. And they run to him. And they give him water. They give him food. And they even quickly, I, so in some interviews and in the movie and one documentary I watched, they said they sent their son, Andy, to contact, like to go find self-service, like go back to the car where they parked and call Hmm. authorities. However, that was not with all of them. So I don't know how accurate and truthful that is, but just so you guys know, that's on some of them. It could be, could be not. Still kind of cool. Be like the smartest idea because then the mother and the father could uh, like tend to his wounds. So it could have been because, you know, they're seeing this guy like he doesn't have a hand. Yeah. And And it's bleeding everywhere. He's pale. It's so good that he was able to yell because if he ran, his heart would have been pumping and he would have lost so much blood. Yep. Exactly. And yeah, so they uh, life flight him to the nearest hospital and Aaron survived. He's now safe. It was he was saved approximately four hours after he amputated his arm. It's a long time. Mm -hmm. Aaron had lost 40 pounds, which is 18 kilograms and 25 percent of his blood volume. That is actually surprising. Not of the weight that he's lost, but the blood. Because, like, I've heard stories where people cut arteries and they lose about half of their blood. Yeah, if you cut your artery, you could die within minutes. Yeah. And that he's only lost 25%. 25%. It's still a lot, but yeah. He was... Before all this happened, after he quit his job at Intel to make some extra money, he was a rescuer um, in Colorado. So he does have experience with some type of things, but he's not like a medical professional. He's just, if there's an avalanche, he's going to go out there with the Siberian Huskies or whatever, the St. Bernard's, and help find you and get you out and help prevent your severe wounds from being fatal until you could get to the hospital then like they could do more permanent better stuff park authorities did go back to the spot Aaron was stuck it took 13 men 
a winch, and a hydraulic jack to move the boulder so his arm could be uh, removed, so they could t bring his arm back. Aaron decided to cremate his arm and return to the canyon to scatter the ashes. He said it's where they belong, which is powerful to me. Yeah. Also, I would have kept my arm. It would kind of been like a cool fireplace mantle. Put it in a jar with formaldehyde. And... Oh. Yeah. Yeah, then you could hold it. Yeah. So instead of a, instead of a talking stick, it's the talking hand. So you pass the hand around the room and that's how you get your turn to talk. Yeah, and you could raise it, you know, like my yeah. turn. <laughs> <laughs> my turn to talk. Okay. Okay. This is not funny. We're it's insensitive. We're sorry. Sorry to go back in time of the story, <laughs> but when he when that rock fell, and it how how much did it weigh? Eight hundred tons. Eight hundred pounds. Eight hundred pounds. And was he? How did it fall? Like how was he able to shift it? So it's a that narrow slot canyon. Uh -huh. It wasn't too wide, but there was this rock that was kind of stuck it was it's 800 pounds it's a big freaking rock and it's kind of balanced on like the top over the slot so okay. you know it's not like the even it's not like even with the cross so there's some parts that are a little closer together and some parts a little farther together it was hovering on a part that was a little closer together but on the edge of where it gets further apart Okay. So as he's getting ready to propel down, he is budging this rock, kind of using it as leverage, thinking it was solid. Okay. Kind of get a good grip of how he's going to go down and, you know, things like that. And that's when he slips and the rock shifts and it shifts. It's kind of round. So it rolls a little bit towards where Aaron is, which is the wider part of the canyon. So now the him and this boulder come falling down. Mm. And then it gets a little thinner near the bottom and the rock gets wedged in there with its hand. Okay. So, yeah. Does that make sense? That makes sense, yeah. Okay. So after the accident, uh, Aaron was the first to fully climb solo. All of Colorado's 14ers in winter. So he was the first one to do this alone. He left a note, though, behind at least, right? For his family? Yeah, he definitely. I bet. I am pretty sure he wasn't going to do that anyway. He is now a motivational speaker, and he does travel and do a, does like a lot of cameos and TV shows and stuff. One of them is oh. The Simpsons. <gasps> oh. So cool. Yeah, it's one of the Treehouse Horrors. So. That's kind of cool. Uh, his premonition actually did come true. He now has two children. So that dream oh. he had that filled him with peace of playing with a kid while he had no hand, it did come true. And good for him because yeah, that, that brought him a lot of peace. And um, I bet that's what motivated him as well, was that little yeah. child. Was that little child, that future baby. I should look up what he named his kid. I wonder if he named him Boulder. Or John. Or Arm. Arm. <laughs> anyway, 
He did end up writing a book. It's called Between a Rock and a Hard Place. I have mm. not read this book yet because I decided to do this story and it has a two week hold at the library. So uh. I am waiting for it. I am so excited to read it because the movie was amazing. I did want to faint in the movie and I hope the book makes me feel sick as well. <laughs> I live for that. <laughs> he does say the movie 127 hours is amazingly accurate to what he went through. And he believes it is one of the best movies out there. Yeah, so, I wouldn't doubt If you haven't that. watched it, you might want to check it out. But this is the story of a man who amputated his arm in desperation for freedom. And that was my story. Wow. That was intense. And if I had a movie uh, based off of me, I would personally think it was the best movie ever. Yeah. What, if you had a movie based off of you, what do you think it would be based off of? Like one part of your life? Probably when I was with my ex. Really? Yeah. And we got into lots of trouble. Yeah, I'd probably watch that. I'd probably binge that. Yeah, it it could be a TV show, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I'd probably binge that. If you had a movie, what would your movie be based off of? My movie? (laughs) Probably my junior high and high school years. Probably. Oh, yeah, that'd be like a 10 season long series. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that was well, that was great. That was very inspirational. Thanks. Uh, thank you for listening. And guys, follow our social media. It's at In An Instant Pod on Instagram. In An Instant on Facebook. We also now have a TikTok. Yay. Our TikTok will be full of bloopers and clips that didn't make the cut, but they're still great. So make sure to check that out. Uh, we will include all links in the descriptions. Also, don't forget to check out Handmade by EB Crafts. Is that what it is? Something like that. That You don't even know your own Etsy shop. <laughs> no, I have, I have uh, never on it. I haven't got any sales. We'll include a link to that, but I could tell there's going to be a really cool crochet pattern coming in the future. Also, if you guys want some plarn, again, that's plastic yarn. We got that. We will post that as well on our Etsy. Yeah, we'll post that. So we'll be include all those links in the description. I hope you guys have a good week. See you next week. Bye. Until next time. Bye.